Welcome to the Living Rock podcast. Well, it's a real privilege to be together and to share in the word together this morning. Um, I feel very encouraged by the the words that have already come as treasure for us this morning in the word, food in the house. And (laughs) I, uh, earlier on, just um, as we were praying before the meeting, we we usually meet at 10 o'clock, those of us who are here setting up helping and just pray for the gathering at 10. And um, aware that um, there may be fewer of us this morning, I was just reminded of... um, where Jesus is teaching about the kingdom, and he says, a little yeast leavens the whole lump. Now, after the words that have been shared about treasure and food in the house, um, there's something for us this morning to know. (laughs) A little yeast leavens the whole lump. Now, I'm not saying that the rest of the church is lumpy, (laughs) but I am saying that the word God gives us, as we're here today, is a word for us to take, to share, because yeast makes, uh, leavens the whole lump by causing it to rise, causing it to be filled with air, causing it to expand. And that's what the word will do with us and in us this morning. So um, shall we just pray together as we come to um, the word? Father, I thank you that you have already been speaking this morning, that you have um, bread, rich bread for us this morning in your word. You have truth that you will take Um, and place in us and cause us to expand and others to expand. So we just want to be open now, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you come and work among us? Knead into us your yeast, that the whole lump will be leavened, that there's food in the house, treasure to be polished and seen and um, shine. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in Ephesians and um, um, we're going to be looking at the first three verses of Ephesians 4 today. Uh, And uh, well, what have we already looked at in Ephesians? We've seen so much already. We've seen that we're an in Christ people. We're chosen, we're loved, we're adopted, we're redeemed, we're forgiven. We've seen that we were dead without God, without hope, without family, without purpose. But now we're holy saints, holy with an H alive, sons and rightful heirs of God our Father, sealed with the Holy Spirit. We belong to God's wonderful masterpiece family, with each one of us having a part to fulfil in his master plan. And as Phil shared a couple of weeks ago, we are being built together, one new people, a holy temple where God lives by his Spirit. And as we've said before, in the first half of Ephesians, the first three chapters, Paul is unwrapping all of this, of who we are in Christ, what God has done for us, what he has for us, and uh, who we are to be in him. And then in the second half of Ephesians, from chapter four onwards, he goes on to put some flesh on those bones and say, this is how you live it out. This is what it looks like in practice. This is what it looks like in our church family, in our households, in our communities, in our life in the spirit. So last time we came into land at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, 
And um, we're going to taxi along that runway for a little bit longer this morning, spend a bit more time in those verses. The Holy Spirit wants to draw us deeper in here, has things to show us that are really important. Those verses are the turning point for the book, uh, for the letter of Ephesians. They're really important in the book, in the letter, but they're really important for us right here, right now. So let's read um, Ephesians 4, verse 1 to 6. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Amen. So, the new you is what Paul has uh, been looking at in the first three verses and he is picking up that at the beginning of verse one of chapter four where he says, live or walk worthy of the calling you have received. He means live your whole life in a way that matches up to what, who God says you are, who, what God has for you to do. Live your whole life that way. It's not just a nod to sort of the principles of Christian living, but it's signing up and living out the details of that in everyday life. I find it really interesting what some of these actual words mean in the Greek. And the, we, the Greek word for worthy is the same word that we get our word access from. So I don't want to get too mathematical because I'd be on dangerous territory, but an axis is a fixed reference point, fixed reference line of a graph. And every point has its value on that fixed reference line. Or if you think about the sun, it rotates around its axis, an imaginary line that comes right through the centre, and everything of the sun rotates with reference to that line. And Paul is saying, I want you to live your life for God like that. That everything you do, every place you go, you live with reference to the fixed reference line of God's call on your life, who you are, and what he says you can do that everything in your life rotates around who God says you are and what he says uh, you can do, the plan he has for you. And the thing is here that Paul's just not, he's not writing to individuals, he's writing to the whole church family. And this is a corporate call of God on our lives. But I was thinking about it this way, and I guess the essence of it is, is this, that who God says I am and who he has called me to be and what he wants me to do is inextricably bound up with who he says you are and who he wants you to be and who he's called you to be. They can't be separated. I can only live my life worthy of God and of his call on me if I live my life with reference to you and your life and vice versa. And Paul has a particular aspect of this in mind, because in verse three he says, 
that you are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And Phil spoke about this last time, um, about, particularly about the making every effort, about seeing that this bond of peace is what Paul has been talking about in chapter 2, that Christ is our peace. He has made peace uh, for us and in us. Um, and I've been really drawn to keeping the unity of the Spirit. So that's particularly what I want to look at this morning. And I suppose you could say that this new you Paul has been talking about is a new unity. It's really interesting that this word Paul uses here as unity is only used twice in the whole of the New Testament. It's used in this verse and it's used just a few verses later in verse 13. And in fact, in the Greek and Roman culture of the time, it wasn't a word that was in regular use. So Paul is using an unfamiliar word here, something that hasn't been heard much before. And it it starts to hint at something fresh, something new, something not seen this way before. And it helps us to understand something of what he means. See, in in chapter 2, in verse 14, Paul talks about both groups becoming one. In verse 15 of chapter 2, he talks about one new man. In verse 18, he says, we have access in one spirit to the Father. And now in chapter 4, verse 3, he says, keep the unity of the spirit. Now, the first part of that word for unity in the Greek is one. So it'd be like hearing one body, one man, through one spirit, Now keep the oneness of the Spirit. It's the same thing. It's um, uh, something he highlights further when he goes on the next couple of verses and talks about there is one body, there is one Spirit, there is one hope, one calling, one faith, etc. So this unity is a new oneness. It's not about uniformity where everything looks the same. It's not just about having a particular set of ideas or characteristics in common. It's something that God has created in us. It's our new creation, core identity. It's not something we work for. It's something we have already possessed in Christ. Something he has accomplished for us and something that we possess. And Paul says, It's a unity, a oneness of the Holy Spirit with whom we are already filled and sealed. Where he says in chapter 2, verse 15 about this one new man, and that word man means mankind. It's a generic term. It's not talking there are only males. Um, One new man. He's talking about a new in quality. Not something that's just new in time, but new in quality. Paul is saying the oneness God has created in you, the church, is new in quality. It's never been seen like this before. It's the same word Paul uses when he says you are a new creation. You're new in quality. You were never like this before. And now you are. And now he's speaking of the church. He's saying, look at what God has done. Look at what Christ has created through his body, through his blood on the cross. One new people. Many different people, all different types, from all different places, with all different backgrounds. But they are one in Christ. And they're in this oneness, they are new. 
with a new masterpiece quality. He's saying, I've done a new thing. Nothing seen, nothing has ever been seen quite like this before in my church. And I really believe this is something that the Spirit wants us to grasp hold of with a new depth today. To see again that we are part of this oneness in Christ. To look at one another. I think he's saying to us, look at you, see one another. See who and what you are together in Christ. I've done a new thing here in Market Harbour. Nothing like this, nothing like you has ever been seen before. We are one. We have a new oneness. And just for clarification, I'm not saying that we're the only church in town at all. Not at all. But we are to recognise that in Christ together, we are part of this new, fresh, one people of God. Do you know, we have a oneness that is totally unmatched by any other community in Christ. We want to and need to work that out. But I really believe no other community has a unity and a oneness like Christ has made in the church. Whether that's a community centred around locality or social status or ethnicity or gender or sexuality or all sorts of things people gather a community around today. Nothing else comes anywhere close to the oneness of God's new people in Christ. I believe it's a oneness that the world actually longs for. The world longs for a family to belong to, a place to really belong, to find identity and to be part of together. And Paul says in verse 3 that we must keep, literally guard, keep watch over this oneness. It has been created and accomplished in Christ, but we must guard it and maintain it. We can put it like this. We haven't created our unity, but we could spoil it. And this is really important. It's really important because the oneness of the church is something that God has in plan because he has one bride for his one son. And um, Paul speaks about this later in Ephesians 5 when he says, the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. We are one bride because we are promised to one bridegroom. So this is really important to guard and maintain this unity of the one bride. And um, so in verse 2, Paul gives us some practical help with a new wardrobe. You can put the next slide up. Now, some of us, when we talk about new wardrobes, might think, oh, what would, how big will it be? Where will I put it? But no, not this type of wardrobe. The next type of wardrobe. Uh, next slide, thank you. Which is a set of new, finely tailored, made to measure, cut from exquisite fabrics, designer label garments. This is what Paul says. Live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one, a, with one another in love. And then says, making every effort to keep the oneness of the Spirit. To live worthy 
we need humility, gentleness, patience, love, bearing with one another, amongst other things. And in Ephesians and Colossians, Paul has already been using this kind of clothing analogy. He talks about putting off, taking off some types of clothing that belong to our old nature, how we used to be, the sin in the past. And he talks about us putting on new clothing. And here the emphasis is very much on this new clothing that we put on. And we've already thought about it. And when we looked at Colossians in chapter 3, Paul has the same thought there. And I'd just like to read that because it's really helpful, I think. Colossians 3, verse 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on, literally clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which is the perfect bond of unity or completeness, fulfilment in that sense. Wearing these clothes of humility, gentleness, love doesn't come from following a rule book. It comes from knowing who we are in God, that we are his chosen ones, that we are dearly loved, that we are holy. Um, In Romans 13 verse 14, Paul puts it simply like this. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourselves with Christ. Isn't that so beautiful? So let's carefully consider today um, these clothes that we see in Ephesians 4 verse 2. Because I think particularly the first two, I've really been impacted with as I've been reading about this. Um, Reading particularly about humility and gentleness, but we'll look at them. So let's talk about humility first of all. Our humility (laughs) t-shirt. Let's put that on. (laughs) Um, Interestingly, the word humility was never used in a positive way in Paul's day. It was only used negatively. So as whereas today we might, ordinary people might say, yeah, humility is a good thing. That wasn't recognised in Paul's day at all. So he was saying to the Ephesians, put on humility. This is going to rub against the grain of your society and those around you. But put it on because it's going to guard the oneness of the church. Not until Jesus was true humility recognised. Philippians 2, some really well-known verses, but really help us to understand about this humility. Uh, Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. It goes on to talk about him being humbled by obedient to, being obedient to the cross. This is true humility. There are a couple of definitions that I just found really helpful in thinking about this and just um, let's have open hearts to, 
just let some of these things sink in. Humility, choosing to renounce my rights and status in order to serve others. Someone else has written that um, humility is crossing boundaries to include those of lower honour and status. Boundaries are not crossed by accident, but by intention, and often at great cost. C.S. Lewis wrote that humility is not thinking less of yourself. Know who you are in Christ. Know who he's called you to be. But humility is thinking of yourself less. Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Leaving room to think of others and serve others. This is uh, what Paul is asking these Ephesians to wear humility. So beautiful. When we think about Jesus and what we have written about him in the Gospels, so often he's humble in different ways. So beautiful. These are clothes of beauty and grace. Okay, our next item of clothing, gentleness. In some translations, this gets translated as meekness, which can sound like weakness, but it's not weak. Gentleness is not weak. In Paul's day, it was a term that was used to describe domesticated animals, not, not your pet rabbit kind of animal, but your ox or your donkey kind of animal, the animals that you would put to work, the animals that were strong but were domesticated. They showed strength under control. Someone's written, this is the gentleness of the strong, whose strength is under control, master of himself, master of herself, and servant of others. Even the Greek philosopher Aristotle described gentleness like this. It's a position between excessive anger and lack of anger. Even then it was recognised that gentleness was not being purely passive or purely silent or inactive but rather it's strength under the control. It's having the strength to act to bring justice. Another, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Explanation of the term uh, gentleness I found really helpful was this one. A person with self-control and the wisdom to discern injustice and then act to rectify it. Avoiding unnecessary harshness but without compromising or being too slow to act appropriately. And it reminded me of another letter Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 6, verse 1, where this term gentle crops up again. He says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. Gentleness is not turning a blind eye to sin. And it's not ignoring injustice. Those things won't preserve our unity and our oneness. But gentleness is restoring. It is seeing the full potential in people and bringing them, helping them to that point in gentleness. And um, just in case we think this is really easy... Just have a look again at the start of verse 2. Paul says, 
about living worthy, that we're to live worthy with all humility and gentleness. Every kind of humility, every kind of gentleness on display in all of us, from all of us, to all of us. And if this seems a big ask, and it, in lots of ways it does, the more I've thought about it, how radical this kind of living is, then let's hear the wonderful words of Jesus in Matthew 11 when he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for yourselves. Jesus is the master of restorative gentleness. Um, it made me think of the uh, account in the Gospels of the woman caught in adultery and just how gently Jesus dealt with her. He didn't ignore her sin. He told her to stop sinning. And neither did he ignore the injustice she faced at the hands of those who were accusing her. And neither did he ignore their sin either. But he did it so gently. He did it with grace and with love. And ultimately, I suppose, um, when I've been thinking about this, the ultimate example of his gentleness we see on the cross. Strength under control. Um, There's a song that was written a few years ago called The Servant King. And one of the verses of that song um, illustrates this. It says, come see his hands and his feet. The scars that speak of sacrifice. Hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered. At the cross, we see ultimate gentleness, ultimate strength, that there might be ultimate restoration from all sin and injustice, and ultimate unity and ultimate oneness of his church. So beautiful. (laughs) Let's wear it. Let's put it on, however imperfectly we might feel or um, however difficult that might seem. Let's embrace gentleness, strength under control. The next one is patience, literally having a long fuse, one could say, instead of a short fuse, waiting a long time before expressing passions or anger. That's how God deals with us, isn't it? How patient he is towards me and has been always. But wearing patience well is going to help us to choose to put on extra layers of humility and extra layers of gentleness when they're needed. You know, sometimes there can be discomfort or hurt. Sometimes we are wronged. Sometimes relationships go cold. And that's the time to wear patience and to choose to put on extra layers of humility and gentleness and love. Our next item of designer labelled clothing is to bear with one another. And for those who may have ever watched a certain TV programme that uses that slogan a lot, this is not bear with, bear with, bear with while I check my phone and deal with what I've got going on. This is the um, choosing to bear with you. Bear with you. I'm going to bear with you. It means I'm going to devotedly care for you. I'm going to devotedly forgive 
when forgiveness is needed. I'm going to devotedly show grace to you, to one another. And it struck me that there's something in this about keeping going, keeping going. Um, James had a really long walk yesterday. I haven't spoken to you about it, but I do know that it took a lot longer than you expected. It was hard work. Grace said it was the hardest thing you've ever done. <laughs> I don't know whether that's true or not, but anyway, it was rainy. Uh, it involved, what, 11 and a half hours of walking? Three mountains? You had to keep going, didn't you? And um, I see this as us being determined to walk together, to keep going, to have our arms linked in together. If we're going uphill struggles, to go together. Downhill when it seems easy, go together. If it's a sunny, bright day where everything is great, go together. If it's a storm, go together. If there are days of confusion or uncertainty, like a foggy day, LinkedIn, let's go together. And our fuel is love. That's our next T-shirt. Paul says, bear with one another in love. And this, of course, is not human love. It's the agape love of God, unconditional, always giving. I don't love um, you on the basis of anything other than the love God has given me and shown to me from that love I love out. Regardless, that's, it's that kind of love. It's not the love that goes the second mile on the journey, it's the love that goes all the way to the end. Love is both part of our clothing to put on, but also, as Colossians draws out, it's the, it's the clothing you put on above all. It covers everything. It helps everything else fit. Helps all the other items of clothing to be worn well when we love one another like that. So here are our five T-shirts that we've looked at this morning. And as we go through Ephesians, and even if you just read the next couple of chapters of Ephesians, you'll see there are lots more to add to our wardrobe. Lots more that Paul draws out for us. And the Holy Spirit wants us to go deeper in these things. I'm not saying we don't show love to one another or humility or gentleness, because we do in a lovely way, in a great measure. But, but let's go deeper because the Holy Spirit will take us there. I want to encourage us to dare to wear these designer clothes, all of them, all the time. This is not just about picking out one T-shirt from the rail and wearing that today, putting it away, picking another one off. This is where the clothing analogy falls slightly. We need to be really well wrapped in these <laughs> all the time. Extra layers if required. And in doing so, we will display a beauty that is otherworldly, a beauty that is heavenly, a beauty that looks like Christ. It might appear to rub against the grain of society, but the Holy Spirit is a work in our society and community. And to those who are being saved will be the fragrance of Christ as we wear him in this way. And I want to just encourage us, um, we're to wear these all the time. This applies in our homes. You know, homes are sometimes the most difficult places to wear this type of clothing. Or am I the only one? I remember, I wasn't going to say this, but I will. My mum, bless her. <laughs> I, when I was a child, a young teenager, 
I had a sister and um, we used to argue. I was really good at winding up my sister quietly and she would respond loudly so she got into trouble. And I remember, I remember our mother in the kitchen time and time again uh, quoting from uh, later on in Ephesians at the end of chapter 4. She would say with an exasperated voice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Oh, I didn't want to hear it. <laughs> Let alone do it. But she was right as far as households. But it's especially, it's, it's in our workplaces, it's in our streets, isn't it? This is not clothing um, that we don't wear everywhere. It's clothing we wear everywhere, but especially here. When we're together, when we're in life groups, when we're thinking of one another, when we're about to send a message or a text to someone, let's think, I love this one. I'm going to be gentle. I love this one. Uh, you know, if we hold our oneness in the spirit as of highest importance, then we will want to wear these clothes more and more and go deeper. Yeah, I think there's some really practical things that we need to think about here. And maybe life groups will be a helpful way at some point to really talk about some of the really the nuts and bolts, the really the practical side of some of wearing some of these clothes together. And I just want to say, if you can move on to the next slide, because um, top left, these clothes are not our Sunday best. Uh, they're our daily best. Top right, these are not dressing up clothes where we're copying or pretending to be someone we're not. We're displaying who we are in Christ. Um, bottom left, these are not personal protective equipment. Um, our personal protective equipment comes in Ephesians 6 when we talk about the armour of God and it's outward facing. When we come together, we shouldn't need to wear clothes of defence or clothes of protection. Um, we often might feel we need to, but there is vulnerability here, but there is grace. Um, and when I choose to choose gentleness, I'm in a context where everyone else is choosing gentleness. When I choose humility, I'm in a context where everyone else is choosing humility. I want to really encourage us these clothes are about, in some ways, protecting others, protecting our oneness, not about protecting myself. And uh, finally, bottom right, this isn't about a fairy godmother waving a wand and just creating external temporary change. This is a reflection of who we are on the inside. It's not about external cosmetics. It's about the inside. And uh, next slide, I got a bit carried away thinking about different types of clothing, if you haven't noticed already. <laughs> this is what is called active wear. It's what you wear when you're going to be active. <laughs> so I heard. Anyway, so... <laughs> um, active wear are clothes for our bodies. And these clothes that Christ gives us are clothes for our physical bodies in terms of Action is required. They're not just clothes for our minds. So I can't just think about being gentle and think about loving. I need to be gentle. I need to 
Work that out, act that out, take practical steps. These are activewear. And um, they, one thing they say about activewear is it works with you. It helps you to be active. So these are types of clothes that allow for movement towards one another. These are types of clothes that allow us to take action without restriction. These are types of clothes that stay in place, even under strain. It's time to take action. And how wonderful that with this being the oneness of the Spirit, we can be absolutely confident that we have the Holy Spirit to help us. In, later on in Ephesians, um, Paul's going to talk about not grieving the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's going to help us to wear these clothes. And in Galatians, when he writes the Galatians about it, he talks about living and walking by the Spirit. We will be fruitful in these ways. These, a lot of these things are the fruits of the Spirit, amongst others. So we have the Holy Spirit's help. And we have the highest example in Jesus Christ. Here we could spend so long looking at all the different ways Jesus examples gentleness, humility, love, etc. In Ephesians 5 verse 1, Paul says this, Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. What an example. This is so important. I mentioned that earlier and um, I don't think, I certainly haven't. I'm not sure any of us have, could even plumb the depths of how important it is to preserve our oneness and to wear these clothes that will help us to do that. But, you know, it was a focus of Jesus' prayer just before he died in John 15, he says, may they all be one so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory. We've been given glory. I've, been, I've given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. This is Jesus speaking to his father. I am in them, he says, and you, father, are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Our oneness will impact our mission, his mission, actually. It's so important. And um, I just want to close very briefly with perhaps the, I think one of the most beautiful examples that we have of Jesus demonstrating this in John 13. Next slide, thank you. Um, in John 13, we have the account of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. We've Probably most of us will have read that or know something of that. And I think in that example, we see Jesus, he lays aside his outer garments. He takes up a towel to wrap himself with. The the clothing of a servant or a slave in order to wash the disciples' feet. And then he says to them, I've given you example so that you go and do the same. You take off yourself. You take on, clothe yourself with humility 
with gentleness, love, patience, etc., and care for one another. But there's also, um, you know, there's, there's more meaning in that passage as well, because Jesus is not only just washing feet, he's, he's foreshadowing, he's showing what he's about to do on the cross when he is disrobed, when he um, suffers on the cross in order that he can, for himself, cleanse and purify a spotless bride for himself. And I think here we see love uncovered in Jesus our King so that we can be clothed. Love uncovered so that we can be clothed and clothed with Christ, not only in his righteousness and his perfection, but also with his humility, with his gentleness, with his love. And this one bride who we are a part of, who um, Jesus loves, who he died for, to make her one, this one bride, is stunning and is unlike anything ever seen before. And he's coming back, our one bridegroom, for one bride. (laughs) So beautiful. So beautiful. So I really want to encourage us. This is so important. This won't all be worked out by just hearing a word, but it'll be about taking that word in, letting it leaven the whole lump of us. And it will affect how we live, how we are together. And it will leaven the whole lump and go out further. So it's time to take action. It's time to check our clothing. I've almost thought about it this week. Um, Like you check yourself in a mirror before you go out. Uh, Am I properly dressed? And um, thankfully, most of the time we are properly dressed when we check in the mirror. But um, it's not that that we put these clothes on and take them off again. But there is some checking to do in our spirits, perhaps as we pray and take time with the Lord this week to check our clothing, to add extra layers where required, to help others dress really well, to get really practical. Um, Because our king is worth it. And so is his bride. So um, it'd be good if we can just take a few minutes to respond together. Grace, would you like to come and play for us? We are going to sing together in response in a few minutes. Um, But I think before we sing words together from a screen, I really feel like we want to just be quiet in our hearts before the Lord. Just um, maybe there's... Well, we've, we heard, we've already heard that there will be things that we hear, words that we hear that will be treasure for us. So let's just take time. If you know what that word or that phrase or what the Spirit's saying to you that's treasure, talk to him about it. If you're not sure, ask him. He will show us. Um, let's think about, is there any action I need to take today? Is there any action I need to take these next few days? Let us know the Spirit helping us, God's love for us, that we are His chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. Can we just stand together before Him and uh, just speak before Him? I'd encourage us to hold our hands out if we feel there's something for us to receive or if there's something we need to offer Him. Just to be before Him.
Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.